CSN International presents to every man an answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Thursday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. We're glad you've joined us. Looking forward to being with you for about the next hour. As we set this time aside to answer questions about the Bible from the Bible, look more in depth of what really we as Christians believe, and we want to be founded on the entirety of God's Word. You know, so many churches today, they major major on the minors and minor on the majors, and again, we want to be able to prove what we believe from the Word of God. So important. So if you've got a question you'd like to ask us, that number to call again, 8888-ASK-CSN. It's live radio. You can call in right now. We've got some lines open and look forward to talking to you. And perhaps, again, you've been reading your Bible, come across something you don't understand. Hey, that's why we're here for you each and every weekday afternoon. Joining me today, special guest featured uh, CSN speaker, Morning Times, a chosen generation here on CSN, Terrell Skinner. In Calvary Chapel, Pearl Harbor, Honolulu, Hawaii. Aloha. Aloha, Mike, and aloha to all the listeners out there. Great to be with you once again on this, this Thursday on To Every Man and Answer. Looking forward, as you said, to the great questions that come in from all the listeners. It's so exciting to hear people hungering and thirsting for the Word of God and to fall deeper in love with Jesus, to share their faith, and uh, be used to the Lord for His glory and honor and praise. So it's good to be with you, Mike. Amen. Looking forward to that. In about uh, two weeks, we're going to be at the Sure Foundation Church in Keao, Hawaii. Now, again, this is a town about 10 miles south of Hilo, and I'm going to be teaching on Thursday night the Book of Revelation. Starts at 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock. You can find out more about it by visiting Sure Foundation app, or you can go to SF, which is Sure Foundation, SF Puna, and uh, that'll pull it up for you, and you can check that out. But we're going to go through the book of Revelation. What does the Bible really say? You know, there's so many crazy things that are being said that uh, the book of Revelation says, but when you really begin to examine it, it doesn't say those things at all. But there is some things that it does say, and I believe this is why we need to take special interest in it, not for ourselves as Christians, but for those that are left behind. And perhaps if you have a nominal relationship with God, this may be a motivator for you to really seek God with your whole heart. Be about your father's business because you're going to be blessed. Again, this is at the Sure Foundation Church there on the main highway on the way to Pahoa uh, starting February 8th, and it'll be uh, every week, uh, every Thursday night after that. And so we look forward to being with you from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock there, and I think you'll really enjoy it as we go in-depth of what the Bible tells us about the last days. And so again, Sure Foundation, February 8th, 6 to 7 o'clock, and again, you can check it out, Sure Foundation app, and uh, it'll tell you all about it. Well, let's go ahead and go to the phones, Daryl. We have Melissa on the line in Idaho. Hi, and welcome. Hi, I'm reading the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And in verse 17, it says the genealogy is broken down into three groups with 14 generations in each list. From Abraham to David is 14, and from David to the deportation is another 14 generations. And from the deportation to Jesus is 14. 
Um, and I'm just asking a question. Jeconiah is counted twice in verse 11 and in verse 12. So I'm, I guess I'm just a bit confused because it sounds a bit misleading. If you're counting him twice, it doesn't add up to 14. Okay, your thoughts, Daryl. Uh, let's see here. I'm looking at my notes here on, on Jeconiah. Uh, Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Um, I'm not sure uh, what uh, the problem might be. Could you, um, is there, is there, is that what you're talking about? Am I in the right passage here? But for did you? he was counted twice to come up with the 14 generations. Um, I would have to go through and, and just look at it again, but I, I don't, I think it's just saying that Jeconiah and his brothers about that time were carried away to Babylon. Uh, and then it says, after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel. Uh, so it just mentions his name and his brothers being taken away. It's kind of like a, a little bit more detailed information what took place at that particular time, and uh, and thus you have uh, him carried away to Babylon. Then then it says who his uh, who he begot would be Shealtiel. So um, I'm not really sure if there's really a double count there. But Mike, any thoughts? Um, no, uh, and and um, because uh, a lot of times people think that that might be um, an error in in the scripture, but um, we we realize that that um, it and, and just you know when we we look at all these different things, the the Bible goes into into question over. Now, real real quickly. Um, we realize again, and people have often asked the question, why is the genealogy of Jesus different in Matthew than it is in the book of Luke? And of course, uh, Matthew carries the, the, the kingly lineage of why he would have a right to the throne. And we find in Luke the blood lineage. And I think that's, that's important because again, um, he had both a legal right to the throne as well as blood right to the throne. And so um, let me do a little research on this for you, Melissa, and I'll try to at the uh, at the I'll, I'll, I'll dig through my notes here and I'll try to get that for you on the other side of the break. OK. Thank you. Because, again, I think that's important. We want to be able to uh, reckon the Bible uh, truthful. And of course, I don't think it's uh, I think it's uh, partly in the way that it's counted, but we'll 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 go into well, let me look at my notes here over the break and then I'll be able to answer that more more correctly. Any last thoughts? I Darryl? think I think I might have found something here just trying to research a little further. Uh, and the, it reads as follows. In the listing of Jesus forefathers, there was a name missing. Uh, excluded from that list is Jehoiakim, also known as Eliakim, who is Josiah's son and Jeconiah's father. The reason of his exclusion may be he was a puppet king given his rule by the Pharaoh of Egypt. The first phase of the captivity of Judah by Babylon began at the end of Jehoiakim's reign prior to his son Je Je Jeconiah coming into power. Uh, 
That's the three groupings of 14 generations would include Abraham to David, Solomon to Jehoiakim. He is not mentioned, but was among the first to be carried off to Babylon. And then Jeconiah to Jesus. So that would be uh, the best way to explain it, probably, for uh, for clarity. Mike? Okay. Well, we'll see what else we can find. But yeah. um, I think that sounds like the probably the best scenario there for that. Um, Melissa, I hope that helps. Yeah, that does. I, I uh, thank you to the other pastor because I was looking sure. at Second Chronicles and I saw about Jehoiakim, but um, because he wasn't listed in that genealogy, it kind of threw me off. But that that might help me tie those pieces together. So any help is appreciated. Thank you. Sure. Well, God bless also, you. A reference, Go ahead. a reference is First Chronicles chapter three. Uh, verses 15 and 16 also. So took, just took a little while to do some digging here. So God bless yeah. you, my sister. All right. Hope that helps. And if we find any more, we'll we'll let you know on the other side of the breaks as we come up on that in about 20 so minutes. And uh, stay in line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs for calling in, Melissa. Great question. Uh, we love those kind. Really makes us dig too. So God bless you, dear. Stay in line. We'll get you taken care of. Let's go to Woody, Sparks, Nevada. Hi, welcome. A call. Uh, pastors, we had a little gathering the other day with some friends, and a buddy of mine had said uh, in Luke 9.23, uh, where it says, Jesus says, "Come, uh, take up your cross daily and follow me. His question was, because Jesus had not been to the cross at that point, what did that actually mean, to take up your cross and follow me? Any ideas? Well, Jesus' purpose for coming to this earth was to die on the cross for our sins. That that was why he came. Now, of course, we know that he resurrected three days later. He sits at the right hand of the Father. We also know that he's coming back to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years and then spend eternity with him as his bride. That's what we will be doing. That's what Jesus came to do. Now, if any man be in me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus knew then why he came. I believe it's really important for all of us. That is the purpose why God sent him. I tell Christians all the time, pray and find out what the purpose God put you on this earth for. Now, we may not fully know it because certainly we find in Jesus's ministry many more wonderful things that he did. In fact, the book of John says, if all the things that Jesus did were written, the world itself wouldn't have enough room to contain all the books. Well, I think that's pretty important. But the principal reason Jesus came was to die on the cross for us who desperately need a Savior. We as well need to find out what our purpose is here on this earth. Now, that is revealed to us, I believe, by praying. And as Jesus taught the disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a personal prayer. Thy kingdom come, speaking of God, what wilt thou have me to do? That's what really we need to do. So when a person says, taking up your cross, Jesus knew what his purpose was. In fact, oftentimes he'd say, I must go to Jerusalem. I must die. And Peter said, Lord, you don't have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to die. And Jesus said, get me hide me, Satan. See, Jesus knew what his purpose was. 
That's why I believe he speaks of it in present tense, though yet not fulfilled. But we then, as his followers, we need to seek God out. God, why am I on this earth? What purpose do you have me to do? And though we may have an idea of what God has us to do, I believe every day is that learning experience where we surrender our life to him to be about why we're here. Now, dying on a cross was not a lovely thing. It was one of the most gruesome ways of death there is. And I believe that a lot of times what God calls us to do is not always fun and games and a ride at Disneyland. I believe oftentimes it is very difficult to do what we have to do. But we bear our cross. We do what God's called us to do, why he put us here, so his kingdom can come. His will will be done. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, we look at that. He says, deny yourself, pick up the cross daily, daily, and follow me. So it's not just a a one-time event, but it's a daily event for each of us as believers in Jesus Christ. And when you look at the cross, what does it represent? Uh, Jesus knew what it was going to represent for humanity, which he would die on that cross and pay the atonement for our sins. Uh, which means there's salvation. And so when we take the cross of Christ daily, we're carrying this great testimony of salvation that the Son of God died on the cross for our sins, and of course, he rose from the grave. I like what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of uh, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And then he goes on to continue to say, preach, preach to Christ crucified, a uh, stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So here we, when we carry this cross daily, it is, is te- teaching us one, we deny ourselves our own selfish, uh, sinful desires, and two is we are proclaiming the gospel of salvation in that cross. And we're putting to death our, our sinful nature at the same time daily because we want to shine brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We want to testify of our Lord and Savior and bring them to salvation. And then Jesus, of course, in that same passage there in Luke 9, he says, whoever desires to to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he he himself is destroyed or is lost? So it's important for us to realize the power of the cross of Christ. I, I remember years ago, and I hope you don't mind just digressing just one quick moment. Uh, Billy Graham was doing a crusade in Germany, and he noticed one of the nights that many, not many people got saved. And uh, an old German Christian man came up to him and said, Billy, did you notice that not many people got saved? He says, yes. He says, well, what I noticed was you did not preach the cross of Christ tonight. All other nights you preached the cross of Christ. And Billy Graham said from that day forward, I was always making sure I was preaching the cross of Jesus Christ. And so it's the power of God unto salvation as we carry it with us daily. Mike? Hope that helps. Yes, it does. Thanks, Pastor. Just appreciate it. God bless you. God bless you. Stay online if you like. Send you out the uh, new uh, DVD we're offering, um, Atheist Delusion by Ray Comfort, as well as the movie Jesus. Time to Grow, a little booklet, as well as God of Wonder. Stay on the line, Woody. We'll get those out to you. Great for evangelism. And let's go to George, Billings, Montana. Hi, and welcome. Hi. How are you guys doing today? Good. How may we help? Say, uh, my question is, uh, it has 
uh, maybe I'm just overthinking it. I read it years ago, and I've always kind of wondered about it. It said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, uh, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. And then, and then Jesus talks about now he was Elijah who was to come. Now, I know that John the Baptist preached repentance and baptism and confession of sins. And I see that all the law and the prophets prophesied until John, but grace and truth comes from Jesus Christ. So yes. can you help me unpackage this thing? Okay, your thoughts. Well, John the Baptist, of course, was the last uh, to prophesy of the coming Messiah, uh, that behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he declared. Uh, we know he is the forerunner, the ones crying out in the wilderness. And he came in the, the spirit and power of Elijah in boldness and so forth as, as this uh, proclaimer of the Messiah to come. Now, the Bible does say that Elijah will come when, when the Messiah comes. And so it's interesting to, to look at the passage, and Jesus gave the inference to John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah. Uh, when we look at that, we're going, okay, what is he trying to say? Well, the, the Bible in the Old Testament speaks of the coming of Christ in, in at two different times. One, as the uh, Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, to be crucified for our sins. And the second time, he's going to come as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, where he's going to return and reign and rule on the earth for a thousand years. That's what we call the second coming of Christ. So this inference is John is fulfilling that which spoken of Elijah in the Spirit, and then ultimately there'll be this time of Elijah, which many, many, many people believe it could be Elijah and Moses there, uh, uh, bringing down these judgments in Jerusalem with the water being turned to blood and fire coming from heaven and so forth as the two witnesses. Uh, and that's always been a little bit of debate in some other folks, but uh, it's very likely because they represent the law and the prophets. So it's fascinating when you look at this passage and what uh, how John the Baptist was used and what reference Jesus gave to him because of his two comings. Mike? Amen. I hope that helps, George. It does. And just another quick segue on that. What does it mean when it says that the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it? Okay, your thoughts. Well, it, when you look at the, the, the kingdom of heaven being forcefully and suffering so many things, you look at the prophets of God, even even the, the Jewish people themselves, they killed their own prophets who were delivering the true message of God. Uh, as we look to uh, so many of them that even Isaiah was sawn in tune and so forth. Uh, and and the true prophet, like a Jeremiah, they, they weren't believed, they weren't followed, but yet they continue to preach the gospel even through their persecutions, even as uh, John the Baptist forcefully brought it forth, if you will, even though he's going to lose his head because he preached against Herod and his uh, adulterous affair that he was having. Uh, and so we see this... Uh, Jesus, uh, I'm trying to think of the passage right now. I think it's in Luke's Gospel or Matthew toward the end uh, of the book. He talks about the prophets being killed and from the altar of Abel all the way to the prophets. And so you see that the the gospel message has a great price that has been paid to get us to where we're at today. Even today, a great price is being paid through persecutions and tribulations and trials and sufferings that has taken place. We have a as, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to recognize how great a heritage we have uh, from so many that gave their lives to get us the gospel message of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, our Lord paid the ultimate price for us. Mike? 
Yeah, and and um, it, it 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 it's a it's written in a negative sense, and so as an example. Uh, from the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has forcefully advancing, and the violent people are attacking it. That's one of the contexts. One of the that's the New Living Translation, but I think that kind of renders it that way because when anything is written in the Greek in the negative, the answer is always negative. And so this is why I've actually heard it say, well, you know, the church is out there and we're we're going to take the take the kingdom by force. I I don't really see that. I I really see that it is a a, a thing and especially uh, John the Baptist being beheaded for his um faith again and his as you mentioned Daryl the condemnation of Herod having his brother's wife uh, so I would say that this is probably the closest to rendering of it. Again, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing against incredible odds, and violent people are attacking it and still do so. Hope that helps. I'll give you one last tidbit. It's Go ahead. From, from our Lord in Matthew 23, verse 29, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you Prophets, wise men, and scribes, some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So a very powerful message of our Lord in the what religion does in compared to a true relationship with Yahweh and delivering his true message. Religion wants to control people. It's greedy. It's corrupt. It becomes evil, becomes uh, wicked and, and even murderous. And you see that throughout the Old Testament. But the true prophets of God, they continued on. They, nothing was going to stop them from preaching the gospel uh, of salvation for, for Israel or for all of humanity in Jesus Christ. Mike? I hope that helps. That's excellent. Thank you, and I appreciate you guys. God bless you, George. And again, um, the Scripture says, which of the Old Testaments did you not persecute? So yeah, uh, stay on line, George. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll enjoy. Great for evangelism. And let's go to D, St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, welcome. Hi. Um, my question is, um, yesterday you guys were talking about uh men being the leaders or the pastors of a church and that in the, in the word, um, that's what God says. It should be the man leading the church. And I guess my question, I guess I have two questions. Um, what is the reason that, what is the reason why the man should be the leader of the church? And I wasn't sure it's because God came into this world as a man and he uh, came to die on the cross for us and to lead us. And my second question is, how do you feel about um, the men that we have in the church that are leading the congregation, but they're being um, they're being found out about like they're behind their wives' backs, they're 
they're sleeping with men, but in the church, they're holy, holy men. So I guess I have those two questions. Well, first of all, we find that coming from not only what's called biblical consistency, where we find no women priests in the Old Testament serving Yahweh, nor do we find any women pastors in the New Testament. That's the first. Number two, Paul says, as he's writing to Timothy, a young minister, he says, I do not suffer a woman to usurp the authority of a man or to teach, um, because it was Eve who was deceived, not Adam. Adam willfully ate of the tree. He deliberately rebelled against God, but Eve was deceived. And so, therefore, it was not a cultural recommendation for women not to be pastors in church, but a gender issue. Now, again, I know with all the cross-gendering confusion that we have right now in our world, uh, it's not confusion in the Bible. It's very clear. There are men, man and woman, he created them. There's not 25 different genders. That's a lie from the pit of hell, and the people that are saying it completely deny real science, called DNA. Your DNA says whether you're a man or a woman, and you can have all the all the hormone therapy you want. You can go under the knife as much as you want. Your DNA will still say whether you're a man or a woman. Oh, that burns them in Hollywood, I'll tell you. But the truth of the matter is, science is on our side. And so because of that, there's not only physical differences, but there's also uh, differences beyond the physical. And this is one of the things that Paul cites, that he doesn't allow a woman to be the head pastor of a church, is what he's talking about there. Now, when we understand that, I think that that brings a lot of clarity to it. And again, with biblical consistency, you find that completely backed up in Scripture. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, there's something that's important when we do, we develop sound biblical doctrine. In other words, is this, thus saith the Lord, and we hold to it. Uh, number one is we want to just stay in the New Testament when it comes to past men as pastors. Uh, Jesus picked 12 disciples who are all men to lead the church. Uh, they became apostles, right? And then you have, uh, we get to the book of Acts. When they chose the leaders in the church throughout the book of Acts, they were all men. To lead, to lead the church as, as in its infancy as the Holy Spirit empowered them and they preached the Word of God. And then thirdly, you have the epistles, and in Timothy especially, it talks about men being pastors. So you have three full tests all coming together, Gospels, Acts, and Epistles, which prove this is what God wants to have. We can follow this up afterwards, after the break. Mike? Yeah, we are coming up on that break, everyone. We don't want you to go away. We come back, we're going to have a whole lot more Every Man Answer right after this. We'll be right back. If babies in their mother's womb could speak, what would they say? Did you know an unborn baby's heart is already beating at just three weeks? By five weeks, you can hear their heartbeat on ultrasound, and that's where Preborn's network of clinics step in. The heartbeat is the voice of the preborn, and you can share their voice in a big way. I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry, and it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. 
Preborn is the nation's largest provider of free ultrasounds. And every day they rescue 200 babies' lives. Will you speak for those who cannot speak for themselves? To find out more about the life-saving work of Preborn, visit Preborn.com. That's Preborn.com. Or call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. All gifts are tax-deductible. And Preborn has a 100% charity rating. Your love can save a life. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with health care costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving. Here you go. Call 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Welcome you back to Thursday's edition on part two with Daryl Skinner from Calvary Chapel, Pearl Harbor, Honolulu, Hawaii. I'm your host, Mike Kessler. And once again, we want to go back to the phones. We had D on the line and D had some other questions for us. Yeah, my question was the second question I had was how what are your thoughts on um, the, the men leaders that are in the congregation leading the church? Um, and in the church, they're the holy men, but outside of the church, behind their, their wives' back, they're sleeping with other men. How do you approach something like that? Or do, I mean, I don't know, what what are your thoughts about that? Well, it's sin is what it is. And, uh, you know, I think that, again, we see a lot of that. And, you know, I, I think it's unfortunate that so much of this goes on. But, again, I do believe that it's because— of the blood of Christ than any of us get to do anything for God. I When you see this kind of stuff, it, it is troubling and it hurts hearts. It hurts the body of Christ. Um, I do believe there'll be a judgment for this on Judgment Day. I do believe that God forgives us, but what it does to others, I think this is where the issues will be. Your thoughts, Daryl? Yeah, and you know, it says here, in First Timothy chapter one, and we know that Timothy, First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus are known as pastoral epistles. This is what the pastor is to follow and to uh, adhere to uh, when it comes to the ministry. And Paul starts off and he says, "But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless, and insubordinate, for the ungodly, and for sinners." for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, 
If there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. In other words, Paul gives a list of sins right here in the beginning of First Timothy, a pastoral epistle on what is sinful, what is ungodly, what uh, how is man not to he's not to live this way. And so when you have this being practiced within the church, then they they need to be confronted and and they need to be pulled out of ministry and hopefully they're going to repent and get right with God. Uh otherwise we're very fearful for their soul in the long in the long run. Uh, the Bible says that they that practice such sinful habits will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's found in Galatians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 6, and so forth. And so we realize there's great warnings of this. Jesus even said, many will say, "Did it, Lord, did I not uh, do miracles in your name, cast out demons in your name? And Jesus says, no, I don't even know you, you know. I don't know you because you who practice lawlessness, I don't know you. And that's a, a very stern warning for people who are playing the games, a game with God and saying one thing and then doing the other. Uh, and so God will take care of business. Our prayer is always that they would repent and get reconciled back to Christ and live for the Lord. That's our heart's desire. But if not, they need to be removed from leadership. They need to be, if they don't repent, they need to be removed from the church. And because a little leaven leavens the whole lump, and we surely do not want that. So hopefully that helps you out, dear sister. It does. Hope it Thank does, you. dear. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's unfortunate. And, and you know, if a person's got those kinds of problems in their life, they, they need to recruit themselves, I think. Um, and again, uh, living in an unrepented fashion just really trips up a lot of people. Hope that helps. Stay on line, D. We'll send, send you out some books, some DVDs, okay? All righty. God bless you, D. And uh, again, we want to pray, 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 pray for all those uh, that are Christians, we want to pray for those in leadership that God strengthens them so these things do not overtake them. You know, we find in the Bible, by the way, we find even Peter succumbed to pressure, uh, where Paul rebuked him when he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. Now, again, it may not be such a big deal in our culture, but to Paul, it was a real denial that God had saved everybody. And so when Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles, and Peter's problem, if you remember, always was what other people thought of him. And so this was a problem in so much that Peter uh, uh, was rebuked by Paul. And I, I think that's always a, a hard thing when that has to happen. And our prayers for anyone is that they would repent and turn to Christ. So stay on line, D. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. 8888-ASK-CSN is the number to call if you want to be part of the program today. Let's go to Carson in Kentucky. Hi and welcome. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, thank you, pastors, for all you do. Um, curious as to why Noah sent a raven out first. Okay, your thoughts. Uh, one field of thought is this. Ravens are scavengers. And they also have very strong wings, and they have keen eyesight. So that might be the reason why he may have been led by the Lord to send out the, the raven, or he just chose it himself, and thinking that in that manner, raven would be able to fly quite quite far. And if it's able to grab something out there to bring back to show Noah that things are changing there in the world as the waters are receding, uh, that might have been the the mindset that he had in regards to sending out the raven. Hopefully that helps you out, Mike. 
Amen. Hope that helps. It does. Uh, like I said, it, it you don't hear a lot about ravens. You know uh, the dove is obviously showing up quite frequently as the Holy Spirit. And so the question came up in our Bible study, and I was stumped. But that's very helpful. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, you know, I, I heard uh, a really some—there's been a lot of weird teaching on that, too, that when Noah sent out the dove and the dove didn't come back, that for, you know, for, for, you know, all those years, almost 2000 years, the dove just flew and flew and flew. And then it lit upon Jesus when he was baptized. And, uh, that is not biblical. And I think it's kind of interesting that people would say something like that. Uh, have you ever heard that, Daryl? No, I've, I've never. That's one tired dove. <laughs> <laughs> One tired dove. So that's a lot of flying for two thousand years. I can I tell you. <laughs> and some people okay. acquaint, you know, the 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 raven as a, because of scavenger and all uh, a type of sin. And then and then when the dove was sent out, a type of of uh, the you know the new deal, the new covenant that God makes, uh, and then it just keeps going and. True, someday, you know, the Lord's going to let us just keep going. Uh, we do know in sin, people oftentimes, unless they're born again, return to their sin. Peter talks about a dog returns to its vomit. So there is that idea then that follows with the raven, and because they're scavengers, uh, that this is a possibility of a reference to an old lifestyle, where the dove is is symbolic of of you know the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, as it was identified that way when Jesus was baptized, that his the Holy Spirit descended on him as a form of a dove, uh, that we will then uh, never return back to our old ways, but then someday to go be with him forever. And so, Carson, I hope that shed some light on it for you. It does. I mean, the scavenger thing definitely came up in the conversation of, um, you know, what ravens do. And of course, I know God used the raven to help his prophet. And so, um, but yeah, it was, that was extremely helpful. I like the scientific idea of strong wings, going to search, going to help. Yeah. You know, one, one last tidbit, you know, when you look at the dove, the dove was always symbolic of peace. So the dove finally is released by Noah, of course. And it's, 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 time of peace. You know, God says, I'll never destroy the earth again like this. Uh, so uh, it, another symbolism, if you will, uh, not to get too extravagant with it, but just another symbolism of what the dove might have been representing as that second bird that was sent out. Mike? So I hope that answers it for you. It does. It gives me something to bring to the group. Thank you so much, Pastor. All right. Uh, uh, stay in line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll enjoy. You can bring those to your group as well. I think they'll enjoy it. Let's go to Scott, Astoria, Oregon. Hi, and welcome. Hi. Hi. How may we help? Well, my men's Bible study group is going through First uh, Timothy. Yes. Our leader that's been leading us for a while is is taking a little hiatus as as he's stepping up to teach the homeschoolers. So he's challenged the group to. Everybody take part of First Timothy and press on. So, I've got First uh, Timothy chapter five, uh, one through sixteen, and it starts off. It says, "Don't rebuke or don't sharply rebuke an older man 
whether to appeal to him as a as a father, to younger men as a brother, to older women as mothers, to younger women as sisters, all in purity. Then it goes through a uh, little bit, talks about family uh, responsibilities with widows, and then it talks about starting in chapter or in verse nine. It's, essentially tells the story of Anna. But my question is, if, and not if, because it is, uh, the Bible being the best commentary on the Bible. Yes. Okay. I cannot think of any examples of a younger man rebuking an older man, regardless of the the forcefulness of the word. And in, in Nazareth says sh- sharply in the... Ryrie, it says something else, and I mean that that word varies, but I can't find I can't remember any examples of a younger man rebuking an elderly man. Well, I believe that when, of course, Johannikim, um, uh, excuse me, Rehoboam uh, took over for his. Father Samson. You mean uh, Solomon? Solomon. Solomon. Yeah. I, sorry. Yeah. Brain fade. Solomon. Um, we remember that he went and he said, what should I do? And the older men said, cut the people's taxes. They'll serve you forever. And then, you know, the young hotshot buddies came along and said, oh, you do that, and they're going to call you a softy. You go out there and you show them. You, you bully the people to bring them into submission. You say, I'm not only going to not going to just cut your taxes, I'm going to raise your taxes. Well, of course, that caused the Civil War where uh, 10 tribes went to the north and two tribes went to the south. But basically, where we don't find the exact words of of um, Rehoboam rebuking, um, uh, you know, the the older men, he certainly did not take their advice and, and paid a, a tremendous consequence for it. Now, you're probably thinking of some others yourself there, Daryl. No, that was a great example. I just taught on it last night. I was in Ecclesiastes chapters 9 and 10 and a statement that Solomon made uh, uh, in regards to that was found in verses seven to, uh, first, uh, excuse me, Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verses seven to ten. And I used the reference to what you just said. You got a great memory, Mike, uh, of Solomon's story. It's found in first Kings chapter 11, verses one through 13. And that was the exact same story I shared last night. So it's, it's a very apropos story for, uh, what you're, uh, looking for, I guess, in regards to this, uh, and and uh, also the story of of King Solomon and his downfall. So uh, it's it's uh, very good work there, Mike. So um, I, I'm I'm just trying to think of there. I'm I'm sure there is. I'm I'm just trying to think. And I'll, when we hang up, uh, you know, I'll I'll think of I'll think of many more. I'm I'm sure because I I do that. But um, um, I'm just trying to think, you know, if there was any others that just really stood out to me that way. But um, if I find some more, Scott, I'll I'll let you know, okay? Well, I think you missed my question. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) I'm looking for something that says, like, uh, Steve is George's son. 
and Steve rebuked George for all his adulterous relationships, uh, and that's found in whatever, uh, whatever the, you know, uh, book, chapter, verse. You know, I'm looking where the son or the younger man rebuked or chastised or corrected or whatever word you want to use there, an elder, elderly uh, person for the, for their uh, errors. Well, can you think of any more of their uh, their um, offer? I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the younger rebuking and an elder uh, off the top of my head. I'm I'm just trying to. And, and I mean, we might also add in here rebuking. Um, uh, you know, to what extent? Because rebuking can be sassing. Uh, somebody older, as an example, or maybe even ignoring somebody that is older. So um, I'm just trying to think of anything else there for you. What about the passage? I think it was was a Elisha, where the young men were uh, mocking Elisha. Yeah, there, there there's a good there's a good illustration they're right attacked, there. Were they attacked by bears? I think it was or something like that. Yeah, yeah, they they were making fun of him. They were rebuking yeah. him, saying, "Go up, bald head, go up." And the Bible says 42 she-bears came out of the wilderness and ate them up. Now, it says they were children, but the word in the Greek for yeah. children there is really a late children. So somewhere between probably 13 and 19 years old is what he was up against. Uh, not not a bunch of five-year-old little kids coming out and, and saying something goofy. But they were actually taunting him. And so I would say that's a very good illustration. Um, does that help? My question. Okay. I'm looking for. Uh, you want a le- legitimate rebuke of, a, of an elder? Is that what you're looking for? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean an elder in the church, it just means an elder. An older gentleman, person. An older yeah. person. Uh, but I'm looking for. the pre- One of the previous callers said. Uh, about the homosexuality in the in the pulpit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. How one of the younger men, elders, deacons, whatever, would approach that pastor to say, "You ought not be doing that, sir." Uh, I, I no, think that, the, the Bible does say how, how to do that. First of all, we have Matthew chapter 18. See somebody overtaken in a fault, you go to him privately. Um, and the idea of going to him privately is not to say, woo, 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 look what you did. But it's to go and say, hey, I see you're overtaken in a sin. I'm your brother. How may I help you get out of this sin? Uh, this idea that, well, you know, in the body of Christ, I have the finger of accusation doesn't exist. God is the judge. We see somebody overtaken in a fault. First, considering ourselves in our own personal lives, we go to that person and try to bring remedy, not condemnation. This is one of the big problems that we find oftentimes in the church. Rather than a person pointing out somebody's 
fault to help them get out of it. We want to just condemn them. In other words, oh, hey, bro, I see you're shacked up with your girlfriend. You know what the Bible says about that? Boy, it sure stinks to be you. That is not Matthew 18. Matthew 18 would be something like this. Hey, bro, I see you're shacked up with your girlfriend. You know, the Bible says we shouldn't do that. And listen, I want to help you be able to make a good decision. So you're welcome to come live in my house with me until you can work this out with her if you want to let her go or you want to go ahead and marry her. See, that's becoming the solution to the problem. And this is one of the problems even James points out. Those that say be warm and be fed, but do nothing to meet their need. And so I think this is where where we really need to understand this um, all the way through the Bible, uh, is that we're not here as as people who condemn, we're people here like paramedics to help bandage them up so they'll heal. And I'm not going to be a cop at an intersection where there's a wreck trying to figure out who done it. My job as a Christian is to stabilize those that are injured. And we have a whole big world that's all injured. I don't want to be the cop. I just want to be a paramedic. Any last thoughts? Yeah, well, James tells us in James uh, 5.19, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, in the Old Testament, one of my uh, brothers here in in our studio, he mentioned that, you know, Daniel had to deal with Nebuchadnezzar and also uh, was it Belteshazzar, uh, and, of course, the, the judgment of God upon him, the handwriting on the wall. And, of course, Nebuchadnezzar and then having to be uh, grazing like an animal and so forth. So Daniel was obedient, even dealing with uh, uh, kings uh, and so forth. So that would be more mature and elderly and whatever, uh, statesman and so forth. So anyway, but uh, those are some of the couple things that come to mind and uh, go from there. Yeah, I I hope that helps. And and again, maybe not an exact verse, but certainly... um, you know, whether young or old, we, we will see illustrations of, of God's divine judgment, even against older people, as they would rebel against what God says. You have Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts as an example. You have in the Old Testament, you have the false prophets that came along. Um, and, you know, so I, I really believe that, again, we, we have to be careful. And, of course, um, one of the biggest rebukes from a young man to somebody older was was David when he brought down Goliath. So we find there are exceptions to this, but again, in love, as the Bible says, we want to be reaching out to people to help them get out of their sin. I hope that helps, Scott. I, I've, I've taken some notes. I will process this Okay. pray about it. And... Um, Try uh, try Jeremiah chapter 1, where Jeremiah was told by God, he says, uh, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver to deliver you, says the Lord, and so forth. So, uh, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And so there, there's where he says, Jeremiah, don't be afraid to declare what I give you, no matter what of uh, their their hierarchy might be. 
in the, in the Jewish religion, you know, whether they, even the high priest, whatever. Now, you always respect, but you you got to declare truth no matter what. Mike? Yeah, and, and so I, I hope that answers it for you. And, um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll keep doing some research on this because I think it's a— it's another very good question. I hope that helped. Thank you, sir. God no bless you. Stay online if you like. Send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll enjoy. And let's go to Justin, New Mexico. Hi, welcome. Hi, how are you guys? Good. How may we help? Um, I was just, uh, the last few about a woman preaching um, for taking the position as head of the church. Um it, it reminds me of when you go to Genesis uh, 3, verse 16. Uh, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. Mm-hmm. Um, and in pain, you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Um, yes. So I think that right there is a statement of the man being the head of the church and the house as well. And I think that might be a part, too, that could go along with that. And well, then, yeah, and that's why that's why Paul cites that. That's why Paul cites that when he's writing to Timothy. It was the woman that was deceived. Now, what is interesting about what you're reading there, and she shall desire her husband. Guys go, ooh, that sounds good. Not good. What that means is she shall desire her husband's position is what, in the original language, that is bringing out. It's part of the fall that a woman wants to usurp the authority of a man. And we see it widespread. It's become so integrated into our society today, it's now the normal. But this is not the way the Bible says that um, society, families, church should operate. Daryl, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, we don't want competition. We want completion. Uh, the, the woman was made to complete the man. She's a suitable helper, and that's how it was in the Garden of Eden. When you look at the church itself, you don't want competition. You want to have a complete church. God has called the men to be those leaders of the church as well as leaders of the home. But what does that mean to be a leader? It doesn't mean you're king of the castle. It means you're the servant of all. You serve like Jesus Christ served the church to the point of death. So I've never known a a woman not want her husband to be a a wonderful, loving, serving uh, man who honors her as, uh, you know, the Bible says in Peter, honor your wife as the weaker vessel and so forth, Uh, dwell with her with understanding, and and be there for her, serve her, and be a servant to the family. Uh, If you're a servant uh, to to, to all people, you'll be the greatest of all, he says. So it's important for us to realize we don't get this concept of authoritarianism, but rather servanthood the way Jesus served us all the way to the point of death and, and giving him his all for us. So hopefully that helps out. Mike? Hope that helps, Justin. And um, stay in line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. We are out of time, everyone. Boy, that's a fast hour. Yep. Uh, stay on the line. We'll send you out Atheist Delusion, God of Wonders, Evolution versus God, and a little book called Time to Grow, Justin, for calling. Great for evangelism. James and Diana, please. Uh, uh, call us. We'll put you on first thing tomorrow. And thanks so much, Daryl, for being on. Thank you. God bless. God bless y'all. Good night. This ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226. 
or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash TEMA. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 